Well, good morning. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's, it's good to be here with you. Um, as far as I can recall, my first time in Staines, though I grew up in London. Um, I grew up in Hillingdon. I live in Hillingdon now. We live in Hayes. We're part of Hayestown Congregational Church and Hayestown Chapel. And, uh, of course, they send their greetings. Um, but I grew up just a little further up in Hillingdon in a place called Northwood Hills. I grew up uh, in a Christian home, youngest of six kids. Um, but at 17, uh, God got a hold of me in a way that um, transformed my life. And at 19, I left the UK and went overseas into missions. And so for the next 32 years, my life was in missions overseas in South and Southeast Asia. I met my wife, Amelia, who's originally from America. We met in Pakistan. God blessed us with two children. Our first, Nathan, was born in India, in New Delhi, and our daughter was born in Dubai. And uh, we've lived over the past 32 years, I think, in seven countries across that region. Uh, we came back. The Lord brought us back to the UK two years ago and opened up an opportunity for us to live in Hayes, which is where we are. And during these two years, um, he has called us away from... Uh, the mission organization that we're working with, and now I serve full-time on staff with Hayes Town Chapel as their evangelist. And if you know Hayes, these past 32 years has been brilliant training for us because Hayes is predominantly Asian. There's a large Punjabi community, uh, very Asian, very African, and we feel very much at home in that community and are thankful for the Lord placing us there. We're going to look today at Luke chapter 17, and we're looking at the verses from 11 to 19. So let me read those for you, and then we'll look at some lessons from there. Starting at verse 11 in the Pew Bibles, that's page 1051. It reads this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all men, all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word. Let's pray that he gives us understanding as we dive into it this morning. In this translation, um, it uses the word leprosy. And the word that is translated by many a translation in the Old Testament and the New Testament for leprosy is used what, 68 times, 55 in the Old Testament, 13 in the New Testament. It's now widely accepted, though, particularly in the Old Testament use of the word, that it didn't just necessarily relate to leprosy, but it could have related to a number of what were seen as contagious and difficult skin conditions. 
and actually if you look back particularly in Leviticus 13 and 14 even used to speak of issues of mildew and mold on walls and although none of the passages where we have the word is used necessarily they, they don't provide descriptions here it doesn't provide a description of the man it's fairly it, it, it's reasonably acceptable to assume that in New Testament times where leprosy was known to exist certainly across the Middle East that is very probable that leprosy was the condition of these particular people specifically when you look at how they were having to live and so I think it's very possible and probable acceptable for us to, to work with this. But whether it was leprosy or not, that's not the point of, I, I believe, why we have this in scripture. It's not so much what happened as far as the matter of the disease, um, but what happens between the encounter of Jesus with these individuals. So we go into our text, and when we do, there's really two halves to it. You could call it two acts of a play, as it were with many scenes. The first half is this encounter with Jesus, verses 11 to 14. The second half is this, what I would call a tale of two responses. And in this first half, 11 to 14, where we've just read, we see that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he travels along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And it says, as he was going to the village, 10 men, who had leprosy, met him. Now they stood at a distance. They called out with a loud voice across to him, Jesus, Master, have pity, or some translations, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, Jesus called back to them, go show yourself to the priests. And then we learn in 14, as they went, they were cleansed. Because of their disease, because of their leprosy, this group of men were treated as outcasts. Until the 20th century, leprosy, nowadays we know it as Hansen's disease. The, 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 the virus, the, the, uh, what specifies it as leprosy disease was discovered by the man Hansen in the 1800s. And so it, it then has been given that name, Hansen's disease, but it's only in the, late, only in the 20th century that it's we've really understood about the illness. The general teaching in the days of Jesus' time would have led many to look at these men as having been struck down with leprosy, probably in the thinking of the Jewish people of that time, because they had committed a sin of some kind. And they were therefore treated as outcasts. They were recognized as having a disease that many considered to be contagious and therefore wanted to keep their distance from. And if you look particularly in Leviticus, 13, 14, we understand more about what their thinking was and why they did it. Chapter 13 of Leviticus talks about um, the regulations for anyone that had any type of skin diseases. And chapter 14 talks about the protocols that they have to go through should they be cleansed of those diseases. And so it's worth looking at those if you have time. Those with severe skin conditions such as leprosy weren't even able most of the time to go into the city limits. They were not allowed to interact regularly with anyone. And that potentially included even their own family members. You look at Leviticus 13, the last few verses, starting at verse 46. However, on top of these rules, 
We find in scripture that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of their day also put into place additional rules that aren't found in scripture, but they, they had created through, they had written up these religious edicts, religious rules called the Talmud, and much of what was practiced in those days, lived out in those days, adhered to, actually came out of those religious teachings, not actually the Old Testament. Now we find that a lot. Um, our experience has shown a lot. That's true within in Islam too. Much of what is traditionally in Orthodox Islam comes not out of what the Quran teaches, but out of what the Hadith teaches, which are these religious writings of religious rulers and leaders. And in the Jewish ruling, it, it seemed to have been a similar practice. So in the case of our story today, it was a rule that those with leprosy had to keep their distance. And that's reflected, we see in verse 12, where it says they stood at a distance. And so although it doesn't say in the Old Testament, if you go into the Talmud, there's specific description as to what that distance should be. And it all depended on where the wind was blowing. The distance was anywhere between what they say four and 100 cubits, which would be about six feet to 150 feet. The distance that you should keep, depending on the way the wind was blowing. I guess their thinking is how they would catch this illness. But imagine if that's how you were having to live your life, keeping this. Now, we've, we've just come out of a couple of years where we've had to isolate and keep our two feet distance, our six feet distance. Now, that would have been a lot more challenging if they had said, according to the wind, that might have to be a bit longer. Um, I don't quite know how we would have coped with that. Um, but all kinds of rules and regulations were put on these people because of the illness, which wasn't down to sin that they had committed. But that's, what was, that's the stigma that was put on them. Now, word had clearly spread about Jesus. How did these men know who he was? How did they find out? Here they were living together, as often happened. Ten of them had found one another and were living together outside of the city limit. How did they learn who Jesus was? We don't, we don't know. Scripture, Luke doesn't tell us. But it's possible, for example, in Luke, because uh, earlier in Luke chapter 5, 12 to 16, we see Jesus interacting with another leper. This time within in Jerusalem, and he, he, he uh, heals him, he touches him, and he heals him. Maybe they'd heard from him. We don't know. Either way, they recognized this man as Jesus. They heard who he was, that he was someone who had the ability to heal, or the reputation, at least, to heal. He was someone who helped people in their distress. They also recognized him as someone who has authority, because it says in the text, they called him master. And the word that they're using there is the same word um, that, that um, Simon Peter uses, where we also see earlier in Luke, in Luke 5. It's the same word that Simon Peter uses with that miraculous catch of fish, and suddenly his eyes are opened and he sees who Jesus is. They recognize who Jesus is and they cry out. They cry out for mercy. They say, have mercy on us, have pity on us. They didn't specifically ask for healing, but I think we can safely assume they would hope he would do something. They weren't just asking him to give them some money, I don't think, here. They were probably hoping for more than just that handout. I mean, who could blame them? Put yourself in that situation. You are in a desperate situation. You're not allowed to interact with people the way that everybody else is. 
You're probably not even allowed really to see your family except from a distance. You're dependent completely on the benevolence of others. You have to go around shouting out that you are unclean, unclean. So imagine in that context, how would you respond? If this person who you've heard about do incredible things, steps into your world for a moment. How would you respond to that? They'd generally been shunned. They were separated from any opportunity for normal day-to-day life. It's hard for us to imagine that, but we have come out of a context where we have had to have prolonged times of separation, and it's not been easy. But that's nothing that compares to the context that these men were having to live in. It says in the text, Jesus heard their cry. Jesus heard their cry for mercy because he responds. So we know that he heard their cry. Now, he doesn't respond like he did in chapter 5 with the one leper. He doesn't go over to them and touch them this time. He just responds from a distance. And what does he say? He says, go and show yourself to the priests. Jesus sent them to the priests. Now, what's he doing here? Well, again, the answers go back to Leviticus 14, because Leviticus 14, which explains what you must do. If you've been diagnosed and declared as having a skin condition, the priests are the ones that give that. But if you are cleansed of it, the priests are the ones that have to Uh, announce that you are clean. They're the ones that declare you are clean and you can now come back into everyday normal life in society. So Jesus says to them, go to the priests. Because only the priest has the authority to make a person clean. In the Jewish culture, only the priests have the authority to make a person clean. If they were healed, if their condition got better, they had to present themselves to a priest in the temple. He would inspect. He would then give them seven days of further isolation, and then after that would declare themselves clean, and then they could return into normal society again. On that instruction, those men could have just stood where they were. They could have argued back. They could have said, but Jesus, you don't get it. Healers. Or they could have just stood there and waited to see if there was a change. It's not what they did, is it? Jesus said, go, show yourself to the priests. How did they respond? Well, it says here, as they went, they were cleansed. They responded by going. They obeyed what Jesus said to them. There's an essence of faith in all 10 of these people, actually. Because all 10 of them began walking in the direction of the temple. All 10 of them had an element of faith, an initial seed of faith, though we learned from the sower, that unfortunately, it doesn't always take root and lead to lasting faith, as we'll find out later in the story. But Jesus gave them instruction. All 10 of them obeyed it. 
And it seems that as they took those first steps, we don't know how many steps they took. We don't know how far they got towards the temple. But at some point along the road, they were cleansed. All of them were cleansed. We see that later by Jesus' question to the man who comes back to them. All ten of them, at some point, as they walked in obedience to Jesus' command, headed towards the temple, were cleansed. He hadn't given any promise or anything that that's what would happen. But that's how they took his instruction and they went and they all experienced cleansing. Now that was going to be life-changing for them. Think about it. Think about what it meant to live with leprosy in that moment, in that day and age. All the rules and regulations that were upon them, all ten of them, in that moment, experienced a life-changing thing. As they headed off, they still had that skin condition, but at some point, it left them. And it says they were cleansed. Now, Luke, being a doctor, I always find Luke's gospel interesting because many of the miracles he, he writes about deal with healings and deal with medical matters. He's the one that talks about the virgin birth when you look at the Christmas story. Luke, as a doctor, is the one that, that includes that. And you think, as a doctor, the various questions and things he would have asked as he went around to get the information to include in the gospel. Luke uses a very specific word here when he talks about the healing of the ten. And that's important as we come to later about the one man who had a different response. Because the word he uses here means cleansing. It's used mostly to define something that is made clean that was once unclean. In the context of healing, it's used in relation to diseases. Skin diseases, like leprosy, for example. And so it's important that we recognize his choice of word here. Because these men were all cleansed. Physically, they were made well. Physically, they were made well. And Luke was meticulous. He was careful about the things that he chose. And that's very intentional that he puts that in there. These These ten men had been living their lives isolated, Isolation imposed on them by society, particularly by the religious leaders. From a human perspective, they had suddenly received their life back. Leprosy had taken their life away from them. And now in this moment, by this word of this man, Jesus, they'd received all of that back. They could see their families again. They could enter back into society again. They could get jobs again. They could go to the market again. They could do it all now. They could come back into the city. Imagine what that would have been like. They could go to the temple again. Once the priests had determined they were cleaned, all of that was given back to them. From a human perspective, you could say they received that gift of life that they had lost because of their illness. Their illness was like a curse on them. But it had now been lifted by the word of this man, Jesus, who we know is the Christ. So it was a miracle. It was an incredible thing. It was life-changing for all of these people. Make no mistake. 
There was no cure at that time. They didn't really understand the nature of the illness. We have only learned about it in the last 150 years. So it was no small matter. It was absolutely life-changing for them, for all 10 of them. But it goes on. 10 men, all with this leprous disease, had an amazing encounter with Jesus, a life-changing encounter with Jesus. But then, the second half of our story today, something remarkable happens. It goes on to say that one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. Praising God with a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And so Jesus said to him, rise, go, your faith has made you well. Nine of those men, all ten of them walked in obedience to the word Jesus said, go, show yourself to the priest. At that point of healing, nine of them kept on walking. Nine of them continued to walk away from Jesus. We don't know what happened to that nine, to those nine. Luke doesn't record it. There's no clear record anywhere else in Scripture what happened to those nine people. It's probable that they went on to the temple and they did show themselves to the priests. They may even have explained to the priests what happened. They may have talked about their encounter with Jesus and how he had made them clean. However, there's no record they ever at any point later came back and sought out Jesus. In that moment of healing, they'd received what they'd wanted and continued to walk away from Jesus. They didn't understand who Jesus truly was. They'd heard of his reputation. They'd heard of his compassion. They sought it. They received it. They moved on from it. They'd been cast out of their families. They'd been thrown out of their homes. They weren't allowed in their villages. They probably expected never to have had that given back to them. Now they'd had it given back to them. They could get back to their living their life, and that's what they chose. They had gained, from a human perspective, they had gained their whole world back. But listen to these words of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 16, 26. What use is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his life? What use is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his life. For these nine, effectively, they'd gained their whole world back. Physically, they were made clean. Physically, they were healed. Spiritually, they remained dead. We can desire much. We can seek after much. But what use is all of that? What use is that if we gain the whole world but lose our life?
because we remain spiritually dead, because we remain separated from God. But it was different from this Samaritan man. And that's where I want us to focus. This Samaritan man ran to Jesus. He sought the face of Jesus. These nine sought the hand of Jesus. This man sought the face of Jesus. He noticed, at that moment of noticing he was healed, he stopped dead in his tracks. He no longer walked on to the priest. He turned and he ran back to what scripture calls the high priest. And we learn much about the high priest in the book of Hebrews. In that moment of healing, the eyes of his heart were truly opened. He saw Jesus for who he truly was, who he truly is. The same way that Simon Peter did in that moment in that boat when he brought in that huge haul of fish. His eyes were opened and he saw Jesus for who he truly was. What was his response? He turned back. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, in chapter 10, verse 10, says, For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. The man recognized, that Samaritan man, in that moment that he saw he was, re- he was healed, recognized something important. He didn't need to go to the priests anymore. He turned and he ran to the one who had made him clean, Jesus, the great high priest. He clearly saw that Jesus was more than just another man with the power to heal. There was no need to go to the priests anymore. It says, he glorified God with a loud voice. He turned back and he glorified God with a loud voice. In Romans 10, where Paul writes, with a heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, he goes on to write, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. The other nine men, they may well have shared with the priest all that had gone on about their experience. We don't know. Scripture doesn't teach us that, but what it does tell us is that this man turned around, ran to Jesus, glorifying God with a loud voice, no longer shouting with a loud voice, unclean, unclean, but rather glorifying God with that same loud voice. What a radical change. What a radical change. It was clear to him who had made him well. He shouted it out. And, as Paul says, you confess with your mouth, it resulted in salvation. He fell on his face before Jesus. He acknowledged Jesus was Lord. What really stood out with this Samaritan over the other nine men, though, was falling at the feet of Jesus. Ten of them were healed, but the only one who responded appropriately to this incredible gift of life was this one Samaritan. He surrendered to the one who had given his life back to him. See, all 10 of them, as lepers, had effectively been living lives under submission to the religious leaders. They ruled their lives. They told these 10 men what they could or couldn't do. Jesus gave them their life back. Nine of them chose then to become lords of their own lives, it seems. One of them, at the moment of realizing he was healed, turned, fell at the face of Jesus and acknowledged Jesus as the Lord of his life.
and he confessed him as Lord. He said, effectively, you are now Lord of my life, was effectively what he was saying to Jesus in that moment. And from that moment on, became one who followed Jesus. But it also says that he gave thanks to God because he praised God with a thankful heart. He was a man who was truly thankful for the gift of life that he'd been given. And he could have, like the other men, walked off, but he didn't. He could have embraced his old life again, but he didn't. There was a quick thanks from them, maybe muttered under their breath as they ran off, and they may have been thankful to this man, Jesus, but they remained lords of their own lives. This man had a completely different response. He recognized something powerful in what had just happened and in the man who was and is Jesus Christ. Glorified him, glorified God with a loud voice and fell at his feet. And it was to the response of that man that Jesus then responded. Because when he came back to Jesus, Jesus looked around and his disciples would have been with him. And he said, hold on, weren't there 10 of you? Where are the other nine? How come only one has come back? Imagine the sadness. The sadness in that voice, in those words of Jesus. Jesus had given these ten an incredible gift of life. And only one came back to truly express thanks. Only one surrendered in response to the gift of life Jesus offered to them. Only one surrendered their lives in complete submission to Jesus. I would imagine that was a, there was genuine sadness in the words of Jesus in that moment, in that recognition. But Jesus said to the man, stand up, because he had thrown himself on the, uh, on the floor in front of Jesus. He said, stand up, go. Notice the instruction, stand up and go. It's just what his, disi his disciples were going to be instructed to do. Uh, later, we read it in Matthew 28, when Jesus said to them, Go, therefore, because all authority has been given to me, go, therefore, make disciples. It's what he instructs all of us, is to go. He says, your faith has made you well. And here he uses the word faith that we find throughout the New Testament. When you look at Hebrews 11, we talk of these people of faith, these heroes of faith. It's that same word that we see again and again and again throughout Hebrews 11 of all these different people. His faith was the same faith that all of these, what we call heroes of faith, had. It's also what is, it's the word that is used when we think of Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's listed there as well. As we often say faithfulness, but it's the same word. Actually, it's just faith. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Because faith is actually a divine response that is wrought in man by God. Faith originates from God. It's a response to a divine revelation. Faith was the response of this one leper in response to a divine revelation. Jesus, in healing them, revealed himself to them. That man saw Jesus not just as a man, but as God. And in response to that divine revelation, he ran to the feet of Jesus. He didn't need the approval of the priests. 
Jesus said to him in this moment, and this is the most important word Jesus says to him, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. The word that Luke writes there, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the word that he writes there is a word throughout Scripture that is used to specify salvation. Your word, your faith has saved you. Jesus says to him in that moment. The other nine were cleansed, physically healed. Jesus in that moment further heals this man. He was physically healed, but now he was fully cleansed, spiritually cleansed. His heart was made clean in that moment when Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Now, he was a whole person. These others, physically, from the, the eyes of a human, were made whole. But they remained spiritually dead. Now this one man truly received the gift of life. Not just his whole, humanly speaking, was given his life back. But he was given life and life everlasting as only Jesus can give. He was now not just able to go back into his own community, but he was now welcomed into the kingdom of God. Those nine remained outside the walls of the kingdom of God because they remained separated by their sin from God. But how wonderful for this one Samaritan man. In that moment, he saw Jesus for who he truly was, the son of God, the great high priest. And in turning, repentance... Repentance is turning away from and turning to. And he turned away from where he was headed. And he turned to Jesus, the Son of God, the great high priest, the one who made him holy clean. So as we think about that, how are we going to respond to that? How do we respond to our encounter with Jesus? Jesus, God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we have many needs, genuine needs, many desires, just as these ten men did. But the one true need that any man has, the one true desire that we should all have, is to be reconciled with God. The only way you can be reconciled with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. So unless we, like that one leper, turn away from what we are doing, chasing after our own dreams and our own life, unless we turn from that and turn to Jesus and through him find reconciliation with God, we will remain outside of the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my burden is easy. So the invitation is there to come. The invitation Jesus gave was for all of them to come. There was sadness in his heart and in his words, because only one did. Jesus healed many people. Just read scripture. It says he, he healed thousands of people. But scripture doesn't say that all of those 
came back like that one leper did. Unless we've experienced that saving grace through Jesus Christ, we remain separated from God. So how are we going to respond? Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things, they will be added to you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to live. Where you're going to live. Your father knows those things. He'll take care of those things. Those things are not the primary things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Is that what we seek first? Is that what we are chasing after? Seek first the kingdom of God. It can only be found through Jesus. It can only be found like this one leper if we turn from where we're headed and we run to the feet of Jesus. If we confess he is Lord and fall at his feet, only then can we be made right with God. And only then can we truly experience the joys of the kingdom of heaven. So then I I leave you with this question. In our encounter with Jesus this morning, as we spent time in his word, how will you respond? At the end of this service, in a couple of minutes, will you get up, have a quick cup of tea, and then walk out and continue on with your life in the direction that, following the dreams that you have? Or in faith, Will you continue to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest? And if you don't know him, let today be the day that you come to him. Don't put it off. Don't wait thinking, I can do this tomorrow or I can do this next time. Just look at the parable of the, uh, the ten virgins and see what happened there for those who delayed and delayed and delayed. Today is a day of salvation. And as we've encountered Jesus this morning, don't just be well fed and then go home. But come, come before the throne of Jesus. Acknowledge him as Lord of your life and let him be the one that guides you and leads you. In this moment, cry out to him. Turn to him today and find salvation in him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the saving grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us when we have taken so much for granted that you have done for us. Forgive us when it is often the secondary, the third things that we we desire. Lord, you know the desires of our hearts before we even open our mouth. But forgive us when those things become more important than seeking your kingdom first and foremost. Lord, that we would chase after your kingdom first and foremost. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that there is salvation through no one else. There is no other name by which a man might be saved than the name of Jesus. Thank you for the story of this one leper that he surrendered in that moment. Lord, open our eyes to see you for who you truly are. May we surrender our lives to you. 
that you might guide us and lead us to build your kingdom as you would want to do. In Jesus' name, amen.